Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Parish in Sherborne. No matter who you are, who you love, we welcome you into our community of religious seekers. Please join us for our Sunday worship services each week at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our website at uuac.org or visit our Facebook page at Sherborne Unitarian Universalist. Enjoy the sermon. Today's reading is titled The Hill We Climb, authored by Amanda Gordon, who read her poem at the inauguration this past Wednesday, making her the youngest inaugural poet at age 22. Of note, Gorman has an auditory processing impairment and had a speech impediment during childhood, which she sees not as an obstacle, but as a gift and a strength. The Hill We Climb. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. In the norms and notions of what just is, it isn't always just is. And yet, the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president, only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are storm a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promise to glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a forest that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith, we trust. For while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it, 
We found the power to author a new chapter to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe, now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than one we were left. With every breath from my bronze pounded chest, we will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the west. We will rise from the windswept northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation. In every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge, battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. So my friends, here is our world. Beautiful and terrible things happen, but let's stick with the beautiful. Let us keep our hearts tender and our eyes soft and our ears open, because this is what you and I are about. We know there's no answer but to love each other with our arms and with our heart and our whole selves. And we bear witness against unnecessary destruction. And then we gather in community these days in virtual ways to practice being the person that we say we want to be. We cannot do everything. Sometimes it's even hard to do a little something, but we know that that little something can mean a lot to someone else. So let us ring the bells that still can ring and forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. Say with me while you're muted. That is how the light gets in. So it is January. It is January. It's no longer December. It's January. And every January since I've been your minister since 2003, I have spent uh, one Sunday in this month looking back on the top religious news stories of the year. This January, I had planned to give that sermon, I think, on the 10th, but my plans were interrupted by an insurrection, which is a phrase that I never thought that I would be saying. But then that's how 2020 has been. It's introduced us to all kinds of phrases we never thought we would say. Like, you have a mask? Spike protein, Confederate flag and Capitol dome, flatten the curve, QAnon, Keep your distance. You're muted. You're not muted. Your internet is unstable. Bleeping, bleeping Zoom. 
400,000 dead. Now, I need to be honest, when 2020 seemed like it would not end, and we were on, I think, the 49th day of December, December 49th, I began to wonder if I had it in me and if I had it in you um, to look back, to, to, to actually do this service today. I didn't want to re-traumatize myself or you. I didn't want to look back on, to use a phrase that was spoken four years ago on Inauguration Day, on all of the carnage. But then um, now President Biden spoke on Tuesday night, maybe the most pastoral words that I've heard anyone else say all year. He said, it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember, but that's how we heal. If we wanna heal, we have to remember. So I've really taken that to heart. And um, this exercise of mine and now yours of looking back um, has been overwhelming, but also necessary and healthy and healing. So here are the top 10 stories, themes, um, religious and otherwise that have, uh, that have shown up for me and I know for you the last, over the last year. I've spent uh, many, many days rabbiting down the internet just for you, so you're welcome. <laughs> and I hope you're hydrated. It, it might be a little bit long today, but the good news is you're not in a pew, so you have no reason to say, I'm uncomfortable. I need to go to soccer. No, you don't actually, because you're, you're home. I mean, what else are you gonna do? So just sit back, get comfy, and let us begin. Number 10, it ain't all that bad. Now let, I wanna speak on a high note because the rest of the notes kind of, they descend, <laughs> they descend downward. So did you forget what was good this year? You can just raise your hand. I forgot. Raise your hand if you forgot what was good this year. Okay. How about a terrible plague has struck humankind, but scientists responded with unprecedented speed and common purpose. I mean, they found the vaccine, um, the tools needed for the vaccine within a couple days. Okay. And they cooperated across, cooperated across national lines to decode the virus and then discover and manufacture the vaccines. Thousands of people, including I know some in our own community, have volunteered to take these vaccines at a risk of their own, on their own selves. That's amazing. How about we learned finally to appreciate the dedication of nurses and doctors and other health workers, and then also just all the other people that we have so often overlooked, truck drivers, grocery stockers, farm workers, the person at the CVS, the person at Market Basket, all of these people who don't, who can't work from home, who have showed up for us, we've noticed them. How about how we've all felt so isolated and frustrated with social distance, but we have also found ways to connect with one another, with our kids, our adult children, our younger kids, our grandkids, older relatives, pod mates, which is another phrase I never thought I'd say, we have connected with colleagues and all of these people in new ways online. We have learned how to telehealth 
and remote work and do virtual gatherings that I know, I believe, will outlast the pandemic. I think that's a good thing. How about a record number of Americans turned out to vote in our national election? Pandemic, be damned. How about NASA named its headquarters in DC after Mary W. Jackson? She was the agency's first African-American female engineer. By the way, amazing movie about her. How about Mississippi replaced a flag that featured Confederate symbolism? How about Fairfax County renamed federal Robert E. Lee High School for the late civil rights leader, John Lewis? I didn't know that until I did the research. How about Congress voted to rename 10 army installations that honor Confederate generals? How about, how about this, that within a few days of the pandemic landing, all of you, all of us at UAC learned how to do Zoom, Zoom church on three days notice, and we have rocked it ever since. How about that? That's pretty damn amazing. I'm gonna take that as a good thing. That isn't, by the way, a self-congratulatory pat on the back. I mean, it is kind of, but it's also for all of us too. All right, number nine. God doesn't want me to wear a mask. I cannot even believe this story. Ever since the pandemic began, scores of folks have framed mask wearing, social distancing, and discouragement from meeting in groups as a personal affront to their liberty. Leading the charge have been conservative religionists who have consistently been willing to risk the health of many for the freedom of a very few. Now, none is more infamous than you might remember this guy, Perry Baptist Church in Sanford, Maine. Now, he is a pilot, actually. He has his own plane which by the way, I'm not asking for. I don't, want to, I don't want a plane. He's a pilot and he tweeted that he was flying to marry a couple in Northern Maine. He presided over the wedding ceremony at the Tri-Town Baptist Church on August 7th. Afterwards, 65 people went to the Big Moose Inn, 65. They didn't social distance, they didn't wear masks. It was over the 50 person limit to hang out and have a celebration. 270 COVID infections happened because of that wedding and that celebration. Eight people died. People who lived 100 miles away fell ill because of that wedding and because Pastor Bell thought that it was an affront to his God to have to wear a mask. And then if that wasn't enough in late November, November 26th, the Supreme Court blocked the rules in New York that restricted gatherings of houses of worship in areas hardest hit by COVID-19. The court's new conservative majority, you'll hear about this later, ruled that Governor Andrew Cuomo, his limits on churches and synagogues and other houses of worship to like 25 people at worship violated the First Amendment's free exercise clause. This just makes me so furious as you and I are trying to do all that we can. This is why I get embarrassed when I call myself a minister. This is why like, I try to keep my profession on the down low. Religious freedom does not mean license to do whatever the heck you want to do. Can I get an amen? If we were in the sanctuary, you'd be all amen in that. 
And also, a God that will want you to gather and pray and sing without concern for your person next to you is literally not a God that you meet anywhere in the Bible. Not anywhere. And we go. I cannot believe this all happened this year. <laughs> We're only in story eight. Story eight, the day that St. John cried. It was a Monday in June, June 1st, and the plaza between St. John's Church and Lafayette Park in D.C. was full of people nonviolently protesting police brutality. When all of a sudden, U.S. Park Police and National Guard troops, interesting, they were there that day, the use of tear gas suddenly started pushing away all these people for no apparent reason. But then it became clear because President Trump wanted to walk from the White House through the park to the Episcopal Church. Camera crews scrambled to keep up with him as he strode through the park and he was followed by Ivanka and by Jared, by William Barr, by a general, and by all these other admin officials. We have the greatest country in the world, he said. We gotta keep it nice and safe. That was just after he was at the White House and he said, I am your law and order president. We need to dominate the streets. Just remember this is the person who said we need to fight like hell and inspired the insurrection. Just want to remember that for a second. So then he walked in front of the church and he held up the Bible, said the pastor there, the right Reverend Marianne Bud, there was no reaching out, no sense that he would need some authorization to use the church as a prop. He held up the Bible. He did not pray. He did not quote from it. He just held it up. And she said, the pastor there, it looked like a prop. This is the most sacred text in the Judeo-Christian tradition. It speaks messages of love, of God, and of neighbor. She says, I was outraged that he felt like he had the license to do that and that he would abuse our sacred symbols and our sacred space. It just is infuriating. Number seven, conspiracy. Oh my goodness, people. This year, more than any other time in your lifetime and my lifetime, has been marked by a significant number of Americans who believe in conspiracy theories involving COVID, the election, and QAnon. These are actual stats that I'm going to share with you that I found on Pew. 40% of Americans say they believe the coronavirus was made in a lab in China, even though scientists say that virus is transmitted to humans from other species. 40%. One third, 30% of Americans believe that voter fraud helped Joe Biden win the election, despite the fact that courts, election officials, and the Justice Department have found no evidence of widespread fraud. 
And last, 37% of Americans believe that QAnon, which I don't even understand it, but it says there's a group of Satan-worshipping elites who run a child sex ring and are trying to control our politics and media. 37% of Americans believe there is some truth to that conspiracy. A few of them even thought on Wednesday that somehow Trump's body was replaced, or wait, Biden's body was replaced with Trump's body. So actually it's, it's Trump's body who's in the skin of Biden, who's the president now. I'm not kidding you. Like this is 37% of Americans. Pollsters say multiple factors make people more or less susceptible to misinformation. It's especially true in the vacuum of pandemic when social distancing allows us to go into our rabbit hole of our own echo chambers of the internet. So I got totally depressed when I was reading the story. So then I went and looked up, what, do you, what, what can you do about conspiracy theories? What do you say? And I have a few things that I found. If you have any family members or friends who believe parts of any of these conspiracy theories, some guidelines. Always speak respectfully. No one's going to be having an open mind if you tell them that they're crazy. FYI. Next, go private. If you notice that things are going crazy on Facebook or Twitter or what are all the kids on these days, TikTok, like go get off of social media and reach out to that person directly through an email, through direct message or phone call. Use the Socratic method, my favorite tool. Use questions to help others probe their argument to see if it stands up. Next, be careful with loved ones. These are your family. If you feel like you cannot talk to them about this stuff, you need to, you need to, 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 to tread carefully and figure out how willing you are to potentially fracture that relationship. You need to also realize what I read is that some people don't want to change no matter the facts. And that's a heartbreaking thing, but it's also true. This next one, really important. Take a break. Stop participating in the conversation if it gets bad. Just go for a walk, put down your phone. And last but not least, be kind. Number six, question, who still wears a robe? I mean, not like a bathrobe, but like a, like a black robe. Who still wears a robe on Zoom? Answer, not Heather, not Emily, not Nathan. Oh no, like I even dressed it up today as a tie, but look, I got like jeans on. So, but who's still wearing a robe? The Supreme Court. But that's not the only newsworthy thing to come out of our nation's Nine Supreme Justices this year, for, for forever, or not forever, but for quite a few years, Chief Justice Roberts has been the, um, who was nominated by a Republican, has been the swing vote for all of the cases, 
including, you may remember, of course, legalizing gay marriage in 2015. He has been the swing vote for so many quote unquote liberal cases. He even, as you remember, again, another sentence I didn't think I would say, presented over the first impeachment trial of President Trump earlier in February. Yes, that was this year, by the way, the impeachment trial last February. But everything changed on September 18th when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and our Senate, encouraged by Trump, who anticipated that he would need justices in his pocket to rule on the election. This is September, mind you, September 18th, rushed to fill Ruth's seat with Amy Coney Barrett, who is a conservative charismatic Catholic. And she expanded the conservative majority five to four. So out, this is like late November. Out of the gates, the new majority did this, required state-based scholarship programs for private schools to also include religious schools, exempted religious employers from discriminating lawsuits involving mission-critical jobs, and also, as I mentioned earlier, lifted restrictions on gathering for churches and synagogues because of the pandemic. But then, just as like we were holding our breath for two months about what the heck was gonna happen with the election, the Supreme Court in a majority refused to hear any of Trump's appeals. And some of the commentators that I read were like, see, the court can still be counted on. No, that's true, but I'm just like, how low is our bar for democracy? that we can say the Supreme Court upheld a national election. For decades and decades, conservatives have prioritized court nominations while progressives have looked elsewhere. And the reality, my friends, is that elections have consequences. All right, so I've been talking forever. Time for an intermission. We have an intermission video. Don't get up, don't leave. You're gonna need to see this. India. Fuck you, twenty twenty.
Wasn't that cathartic? Didn't that feel good to watch that? By the way, that was bleeped out, although it didn't quite sound like it. So I'm sure that he just meant fudge you. Fudge you 2020. That's what he meant. Friends, number five, in memoriam. It is hard to remember, as Biden said, but we need to remember if we want to heal. So I want us to hold up to the light and name those we have lost in 2020 in these first days of 2021. On Friday, Hank Aaron, John Lewis, civil rights pioneer, Kobe Bryant, Sean Connery, Chedwick Bosom, who's Black Panther actor, Alex Trebek, John Prine, folk hero, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Eddie Van Halen, Chuck Yeager, Pierre Cardin, Little Richard, Bill Withers, Kenny Rogers, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, four hundred thousand dead from COVID. And closer to home, Betty Douse, sure burning UAC matriarch. Tom Belote, member of our church since 2011, died of COVID. And then this last Tuesday, just an hour after I was there with my wife, Karen, to say a prayer, Maria Salomeo Schmidt. It is hard to remember but we need to remember so that we can heal. Number four, say it plain. We need to say this plain, we really do. Racism. You know, um, where's my phone? Everyone talks about uh, the, these phones and like what's amazing about them are, you know, is the, the size or the, the pixels or how much memory they have. But you know what maybe the most important of a part of a phone has been that we've seen, that we've used? It's the camera. This year, again, but with great intensity, all of us saw these images or heard these images. We saw George Floyd with the knee of a white cop on his neck being murdered. We, we saw Maude Arbery pursued and shot by two white guys in a pickup truck while he was out for a morning run. And then we heard Breonna Taylor shot by white officers while she was sleeping in bed. There have been so many other people and so many others who have, black and brown people who have been killed by white police. But this year felt different, I think, and maybe it's because all of us were not able to, uh, to go, we weren't at work, we weren't distracted, we weren't, we were home and we, we couldn't, do anything but watch. As a result, protests and racial reckonings took place across the world. Most were peaceful and some were not. 
By the way, that's another conspiracy theory that all of the protests were violent. But the fact that some were not peaceful were used by others to dismiss the racial protests and the accountability. The protests coincided with public and explicit displays of white supremacist groups like Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and Three Percenters. You might remember, I hope you remember, that during the debate with Biden, President Trump said about the Proud Boys, to the Proud Boys actually, stand back and stand by. I want us to know that after he said that and before the debate was over, the Proud Boys had made t-shirts and coffee mugs and flags with that mantra all ready for sale before the debate was over. And then it led to the insurrection on January 6th. And as I mentioned earlier, the Confederate flag in the dome. That I am surprised or that you may be surprised by any of this, I think is, tells us something about the upbringing that I had that asked me in my town and my community in St. Louis to not quote unquote, not see color. When in fact, black people don't have that choice. I need and you need to actually really reckon with this, the sin of slavery in our communities. And it's a sin that is not um, reckoned with or healed by our trying to say that black friends or more diversity in our church will somehow make us feel better. It's actually not about that. We have so much work to do, you and I, to become anti-racist people, which is different than just nice people. There is gonna be more coming soon, but until then, we say their names. George, Brianna, Ahmad, and all the others. Number three, we're on the downward slope, everybody. Number three, the year that democracy almost died. This happened too. Facts first and facts throughout. Joe Biden won a legal, legitimate presidential election against Donald Trump. This is not up for debate. He became, with 51.3%, he had the largest percentage of the popular vote won by any incumbent challenger to president since 1932. The election saw the highest voter turnout since 1900. The election saw a number of ballots cast early in the mail because of the pandemic. And that meant that the news could not tell us who officially won until November 7th. I'll never forget it because Emily and I, and I think India and Sarah were leading the memorial service for Betty Douse. And we were getting texts about the election while we were leading the memorial service. All of that is true, but this is also true. Before, during, and after the election, Trump and numerous Republicans 
attempted to subvert the election and influence the vote counting in swing states. I mean, just yesterday, you all heard that he tried to fire the acting attorney general and put in a, another person who would overturn the Georgia results. It's just astonishing. And then Trump encouraged thousands to march to the Capitol and quote unquote, fight like hell. The law and order president said that. The safety in our streets president said that. And we all saw what happened that day. Trump still refused and has refused still to call Biden the president, even as he somewhat conceded. Two heroes. Eugene Goodman, who led all of those white supremacists away from where the legislators were gathering and escorted um, Vice President Kamala Harris on Wednesday. I hope you saw him. And of course, Amanda Gorma, whose poetry we heard earlier. What is, it was an amazing day to, to see that, all of that. But, you know, on Wednesday, I'm watching the inauguration of 25,000 National Guard troops and not a person to be seen. And I'm just wondering what is happening to our country. What country are we living in? And my answer actually is a fragile one. Number two, pandemic. Now you're probably thinking, why is the pandemic a number one story? And my answer is it's had top billing the entire year. I'm not gonna give it the pleasure of taking our number one story. I want, I, want to, I want to ask you, do you know what you were doing on January 21st, 2020? You could actually, if you, use, if, you, if you use your calendar on your smartphones, you can go back and look. I encourage you to go back and look. So I went back and looked and I found the usual, I think I had a meeting with Reverend Heather and, and usual stuff and I had a meeting that night. All of the stuff, it was outside my house. It was unmasked, like it was like normal. That was the day, January 21st, 2020, when the first case of COVID appeared in the United States, in Washington State. I wonder how you and I would have lived differently that week, that day, if we had known what was coming. There are simply no words, there is no sermon, there is, uh, there's no poetry, there, there's nothing that can express and summarize the wreckage that this pandemic has wrought. Except as, as Jeff Peratt in our introduction to the offering noted, how this pandemic has affected all of us unequally. How different it is for me who lives here in Holliston and is in a home that's big enough for the four of us, the three of us, if our son is depending it back and forth from college, or if I lived in a triple decker with eight other people who all had to work at Market Basket and were exposed to COVID. 
the hardest truth that I just want us to name and acknowledge is that it didn't have to be this way. This is a hard thing for any country, but we have been lied to. We have been, um, the pandemic has been minimized. It has been um, evaded for political ends. We have not been leveled with. We were not spoken to honestly about how all of us would need to come together and sacrifice. And I just want us to notice and know and remember that now, because of that, 400,000 people died. 400,000, their mothers, their fathers, their children, their grandmothers and grandfathers and friends, all have been lost. It did not have to be this way. It is, this virus has devastated bodies, but even more, my friends, it has devastated for me, trust in our leadership. That is why I'm so looking, I was so happy about the inauguration. And I want us to hear that not as a partisan statement, but as a statement as faith and trust in leadership. I don't realize, I didn't realize even just sharing that, how angry I am about that. Just how angry I am. Okay, story number one. The top story for the last year is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay not to be okay. You know, we all in our lives, we, someone say, well, how are you doing? How are you doing, Jennifer Swooden? How are you doing, Jeff Grutt? How are you doing, Sean Billado? How are you doing, Rita? How are you doing, Renee? And normally, how are you doing, Nathan? How are you doing, Heather? We'd say, you know, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm okay. But now the ruse is up and the truth is out is that we're not okay. And the good news, and this is why I wanted to have this as our top story is that that's, that's okay. When all of this is over, we are gonna need help. I mean, we already need help now. Some of us are gonna get it. Many of us will not. And that's because there are deficits everywhere. There are deficits of love, of human touch, of eye contact, of joy, of laughter, of time at a coffee shop, of a sports game. There are deficits of quiet solitude for overworked parents. There are deficits of children's laughter for lonely grandparents. And all of these unpaid bills are going to come due they're coming due now, they will come due later, and maybe even a decade from now. You know, there are vaccines on the horizon. There is reason for optimism. But in the meantime, we just need to forgive ourselves for doing a little bit less. It's okay to soothe yourself with, with TV. It's really okay not to clean the house. It's okay to have breakfast for dinner and dinner for breakfast, if that's your vibe. It's okay to not be okay. I think that things will get better, but the reality is, the level truth is, first it may get worse. And I want us to keep going. I want us to hold on to somebody or something. 
I want us to reach out to the lonely. I want us to reach out if you're alone. We are far apart, but the shrinking of the distance can happen. We are all broken together in some way. But that means that we can get strong together in our broken places, as Hemingway so beautifully put. So, friends, love and all the light to be the light for 2021. Quite a year. <laughs>